Chapter Seven, Part Two of the Stones of Venice, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. The Stones of Venice, Volume Two, by John Ruskin. Chapter Seven: Gothic Palaces, Part Two. We have next to examine those features of the Gothic palaces in which the transitions of their architecture are most distinctly traceable, namely the arches of the windows and doors. It has already been repeatedly stated that the Gothic style had formed itself completely on the mainland, while the Byzantines still retained their influence at Venice, and that the history of early Venetian Gothic is therefore not that of a school taking new forms independently of external influence, but the history of the struggle of the Byzantine manner with a contemporary style quite as perfectly organized as itself, and far more energetic. And this struggle is exhibited partly in the gradual change of the Byzantine architecture into other forms, and partly by isolated examples of genuine Gothic taken prisoner, as it were, in the contest or rather entangled among the enemy's forces, and maintaining their ground, till their friends came up to sustain them. Let us first follow the steps of the gradual change, and then give some brief account of the various advanced guards and forlorn hopes of the Gothic attacking force. The uppermost shaded series of six forms of windows in plate 14, opposite, represents at a glance the modifications of this feature in venetian palaces from the eleventh to the fifteenth century figure one is byzantine of the eleventh and twelfth centuries figures two and three transitional of the thirteenth and early fourteenth centuries figures four and five pure gothic of the thirteenth fourteenth and early fifteenth and figure six late gothic of the fifteenth century distinguished by its added finial Figure 4 is the longest-lived of all these forms. It occurs first in the 13th century, and, sustaining modifications only in its mouldings, is found also in the middle of the 15th. I shall call these the six orders of Venetian windows, and when I speak of a window of the fourth, second, or sixth order, the reader will only have to refer to the numerals at the top of plate 14. Then the series below shows the principal forms found in each period, belonging to each several order, except 1b to 1c, and the two lower series, numbered 7 to 16, which are types of Venetian doors. We shall now be able, without any difficulty, to follow the course of transition, beginning with the first order, 1 and 1a in the second row. The horseshoe arch, 1b, is the door head commonly associated with it, and the other three in the same row occur in St. Mark's exclusively, 1c being used in the nave in order to give a greater appearance of lightness to its great lateral arcades, which at first the spectator supposes to be round-arched, but he is struck by a peculiar grace and elasticity in the curves for which he is unable to account until he ascends into the galleries whence the true form of the arch is discernible. The other two, 1d, from the door of the southern transept, and 1c, from that of the treasury, 
sufficiently represent a group of fantastic forms derived from the arabs and of which the exquisite decoration is one of the most important features in st mark's their form is indeed permitted merely to obtain more fantasy in the curves of this decoration the reader can see in a moment that as pieces of masonry or bearing arches they are infirm or useless and therefore never could be employed in any building in which dignity of structure was the primal object it is just because structure is not the primal object in st mark's because it has no severe weights to bear and much loveliness of marble and sculpture to exhibit that they are therein allowable they are of course like the rest of the building built of brick and faced with marble and their inner masonry which must be very ingenious is therefore not discernible they have settled a little as might have been expected and the consequence is that there is in every one of them except the upright arch of the treasury a small fissure across the marble of the flanks though however the venetian builders adopted these arabian forms of arch where grace of ornamentation was their only purpose they saw that such arrangements were unfit for ordinary work and there is no instance i believe in venice of their having used any of them for a dwelling-house in the truly byzantine period but so soon as the gothic influence began to be felt and the pointed arch forced itself upon them their first concession to its attack was the adoption in preference to the round arch of the form three a plate fourteen above the point of the gothic arch forcing itself up as it were through the top of the semicircle which it was soon to supersede the woodcut above figure twenty six represents the door and two of the lateral windows of a house in the court del Romer, facing the grand canal in the parish of the apostoli it is remarkable as having its great entrance on the first floor attained by a bold flight of steps sustained on pure pointed arches wrought in brick i cannot tell if these arches are contemporary with the building though it must always have had an access of the kind the rest of its aspect is byzantine except only that the rich sculptures of its archivolt show in combats of animals beneath the soffit a beginning of the gothic fire and energy the moulding of its plinth is of a gothic profile and the windows are pointed not with a reversed curve but in a pure straight gable very curiously contrasted with the delicate bending of the pieces of marble armour cut for the shoulders of each arch there is a two-lighted window such as that seen in the vignette on each side of the door sustained in the centre by a basket-worked byzantine capital the mode of covering the brick archivolt with marble both in the windows and doorway is precisely like that of the true byzantine palaces but as even on a small scale these arches are weak if executed in brickwork the appearance of this sharp point in the outline was rapidly accompanied by a parallel change in the method of building and instead of constructing the arch of brick and coating it with marble the builders formed it of three pieces of hewn stone inserted in the wall as in figure twenty seven not however at first in this perfect form the endeavour to reconcile the grace of the reversed arch with the strength of the round one and still to build in brick ended at first in conditions such as that represented at a figure twenty eight which is a window in the calle del pistor close to the church of the apostoli 
a very interesting and perfect example here observe the poor round arch is still kept to do all the hard work and the fantastic ogee takes its pleasure above in the form of a moulding merely a chain of bricks cast to the required curve and this condition translated into stonework becomes a window of the second order b five figure twenty eight or two in plate fourteen a form perfectly strong and serviceable and of immense importance in the transitional architecture of venice at b figure twenty eight as above is given one of the earliest and simplest occurrences of the second order window in a double group exactly like the brick transitional form a from a most important fragment of a defaced house in the salazara san leo close to the merceria it is associated with a fine pointed brick arch indisputably of contemporary work towards the close of the thirteenth century and it is shown to be later than the previous example a by the greater development of its mouldings the archivolt profile indeed is the simpler of the two not having the sub-arch as in the brick example but the other mouldings are far more developed figure twenty nine shows at one the arch profiles at two the capital profiles at three the basic plinth profiles of each window a and b but the second order window soon attained nobler development at once simple graceful and strong it was received into all the architecture of the period and there is hardly a street in venice which does not exhibit some important remains of palaces built with this form of window in many stories and in numerous groups the most extensive and perfect is one upon the grand canal in the parish of the apostoli near the rialto covered with rich decoration in the byzantine manner between the windows of its first story but not completely characteristic of the transitional period because still retaining the dental in the arch mouldings while the transitional houses all have the simple roll of the fully established type one of the most extensive and perfect examples is in a court in the calle di remedio close to the ponte del angelo near st mark's place another looks out upon a small square garden one of the few visible in the centre of venice close by the court salviati the latter being known to every cicerone as that from which bianca capello fled but on the whole the most interesting to the traveller is that of which i have given a vignette opposite but for this range of windows the little piazza ss apostoli would be one of the least picturesque in venice to those however who seek it on foot it becomes geographically interesting from the extraordinary involution of the alleys leading to it from the rialto in venice the straight road is usually by water and the long road by land but the difference of distance appears in this case altogether inexplicable twenty or thirty strokes of the oar will bring a gondola from the foot of the rialto to that of the ponte ss apostoli but the unwise pedestrian who has not noticed the white clue beneath his feet may think himself fortunate if after a quarter of an hour's wandering among the houses behind the fondaco de tedeschi he finds himself anywhere in the neighbourhood of the point he seeks with much patience however and modest following of the guidance of the marble thread he will at last emerge over a steep bridge into the open space of the piazza 
rendered cheerful in autumn by a perpetual market of pomegranates and purple gourds, like enormous black figs, while the canal at its extremity is half blocked up by barges laden with vast baskets of grapes as black as charcoal, thatched over with their own leaves. Looking back on the other side of this canal, he will see the windows represented in plate 15, which, with the arcade of pointed arches beneath them, are the remains of the palace once belonging to the unhappy doge Marino Faliero. The balcony is, of course, modern, and the series of windows has been of greater extent, once terminated by a pilaster on the left hand, as well as on the right, but the terminal arches have been walled up, what remains, however, is enough, with its sculptured birds and dragons, to give the reader a very distinct idea of the second-order window in its perfect form. The details of the capitals and other minor portions, if these interest him, he will find given in the final appendix. The advance of the Gothic spirit was for a few years checked by this compromise between the round and pointed arch. The truce, however, was at last broken, in consequence of the discovery that the keystone would do duty quite as well in the form B as in the form A, figure 30. And the substitution of B at the head of the arch gives us the window of the third order, 3B, 3D, and 3E, in plate 14. The forms 3A and 3C are exceptional, the first occurring, as we have seen, in the Court del Remer, and in one other palace on the Grand Canal, close to the church of St. Eustachio. The second only, as far as I know, in one house on the Cana Reggio, belonging to the true Gothic period. The other three examples, 3b, 3d, 3e, are generally characteristic of the third order, and it will be observed that they differ not merely in moldings, but in slope of sides, and this latter difference is by far the most material. For in the example 3b there is hardly any true Gothic expression. It is still the pure Byzantine arch, with a point thrust up through it. But the moment the flanks slope, as in 3d, the Gothic expression is definite, and the entire school of the architecture is changed. This slope of the flanks occurs first in so slight a degree as to be hardly perceptible and gradually increases until reaching the form 3e at the close of the thirteenth century the window is perfectly prepared for a transition into the fifth order the most perfect examples of the third order in venice are the windows of the ruined palace of marco querini the father-in-law of Bayamonte tipolo in consequence of whose conspiracy against the government this palace was ordered to be raised in thirteen ten but it was only partially ruined and was afterwards used as the common shambles the venetians have now made a poultry market of the lower story the shambles being removed to a suburb and a prison of the upper though it is one of the most important and interesting monuments in the city and especially valuable as giving us a secure date for the central form of these very rare transitional windows for as it was the palace of the father-in-law of Bayamonte, and the latter was old enough to assume the leadership of a political faction in 1280, the date of the accession to the throne of the doge Pietro Gradenigo, we are secure of this palace having been built not later than the middle of the 13th century. 
another example less refined in workmanship but if possible still more interesting owing to the variety of its capitals remains in the little piazza opening to the rialto on the st mark's side of the grand canal the house faces the bridge and its second story has been built in the thirteenth century above a still earlier byzantine cornice remaining or perhaps introduced from some other ruined edifice in the walls of the first floor the windows of the second story are of pure third order four of them are represented above with their flanking pilaster and capitals varying constantly in the form of the flower or leaf introduced between their volutes another most important example exists in the lower story of the casa segredo on the grand canal remarkable as having the early upright form three b plate fourteen with a somewhat late moulding many others occur in the fragmentary ruins in the streets but the two boldest conditions which i found in venice are those of the chapter house of the frari in which the doge francesco dandolo was buried circa thirteen thirty nine and those of the flank of the ducal palace itself absolutely corresponding with those of the frari and therefore of inestimable value in determining the date of the palace of these more hereafter contemporarily with these windows of the second and third orders those of the fourth four a and four b in plate fourteen occur at first in pairs and with simple mouldings precisely similar to those of the second order but much more rare as in the example at the side figure thirty two from the salazada san leo and then enriching their mouldings as shown in the continuous series four c four d of plate fourteen associate themselves with the fifth order windows of the perfect gothic period there is hardly a palace in venice without some example either early or late of these fourth order windows but the plate opposite sixteen represents one of their purest groups at the close of the thirteenth century from a house on the grand canal nearly opposite the church of the scalzi i have drawn it from the side in order that the great depth of the arches may be seen and the clear detaching of the shafts from the sheets of glass behind the latter as well as the balcony are comparatively modern but there is no doubt that if glass were used in the old window it was set behind the shafts at the same depth the entire modification of the interiors of all the venetian houses by recent work has however prevented me from entering into any inquiry as to the manner in which the ancient glazing was attached to the interiors of the windows the fourth order window is found in great richness and beauty at verona down to the latest gothic times as well as in the earliest being then more frequent than any other form it occurs on a grand scale in the old palace of the scaligers and profusely throughout the streets of the city the series four a to four e plate fourteen shows its most ordinary conditions and changes of arch line four a and four b are the early venetian forms 4c later is general at venice 4d the best and most piquant condition owing to its fantastic and bold projection of cusp is common to venice and verona 4e is early veronese the reader will see at once in descending to the fifth row in plate fourteen representing the windows of the fifth order that they are nothing more than a combination of the third and fourth 
by this union they become the nearest approximation to a perfect gothic form which occurs characteristically at venice and we shall therefore pause on the threshold of this final change to glance back upon and gather together those fragments of purer pointed architecture which were above noticed as the forlorn hopes of the gothic assault the little campiello san rocco is entered by a soto portico behind the church of the frari looking back the upper traceries of the magnificent apse are seen towering above the irregular roofs and chimneys of the little square and our lost prout was enabled to bring the whole subject into an exquisitely picturesque composition by the fortunate occurrence of four quaint trefoiled windows in one of the houses on the right those trefoils are among the most ancient efforts of gothic art in venice i have given a rude sketch of them in figure thirty three they are built entirely of brick except the central shaft and capital which are of eastrian stone their structure is the simplest possible the trefoils being cut out of the radiating bricks which form the pointed arch and the edge or upper limit of that pointed arch indicated by a roll moulding formed of cast bricks in length of about a foot and ground at the bottom so as to meet in one as in figure thirty four the capital of the shaft is one of the earliest transitional forms and observe the curious following out even in this minor instance of the great law of centralization above explained with respect to the byzantine palaces there is a central shaft a pilaster on each side and then the wall the pilaster has by way of capital a square flat brick projecting a little and cast at the edge into the form of the first type of all cornices a volume one the reader ought to glance back at this passage if he has forgotten it and the shafts and pilasters all stand without any added bases on a projecting plinth of the same simple profile these windows have been much defaced but i have not the least doubt that their plinths are the original ones and the whole group is one of the most valuable in venice as showing the way in which the humblest houses in the noble times followed out the system of the larger palaces as far as they could in their rude materials it is not often that the dwellings of the lower orders are preserved to us from the thirteenth century in the two upper lines of the opposite plate seventeen i have arranged some of the more delicate and finished examples of gothic work of this period of these figure four is taken from the outer arcade of san fermo of verona to show the condition of mainland architecture from which all these venetian types were borrowed this arch together with the rest of the arcade is wrought in fine stone with a band of inlaid red brick the whole chiselled and fitted with exquisite precision all venetian work being coarse in comparison throughout the streets of verona arches and windows of the thirteenth century are of continual occurrence wrought in this manner with brick and stone sometimes the brick alternating with the stones of the arch as in the finished example given in plate nineteen of the first volume and there selected in preference to other examples of archivolt decoration because furnishing a complete type of the master school from which the venetian gothic is derived the arch from st fermo however figure four plate seventeen corresponds more closely in its entire simplicity with the little windows of the Campiello San Rocco, 
and with the type 5 set beside it, in plate 17, from a very ancient house in the Corte del Forno at Santa Marina, all in brick, while the upper examples, 1 and 2, show the use of the flat but highly enriched architrave, for the connection of which with Byzantine work see the final appendix, volume 3, under the head Archivolt. These windows, figures 1 and 2, plate 17, are from a narrow alley in a part of Venice now exclusively inhabited by the lower orders, close to the arsenal. They are entirely wrought in brick, with exquisite mouldings, not cast, but moulded in the clay by the hand, so that there is not one piece of the arch like another, the pilasters and shafts being, as usual, of stone. And here let me pause for a moment to note what one should have thought was well enough known in England, yet I could not perhaps touch upon anything less considered, the real use of brick. Our fields of good clay were never given us to be made into oblong morsels of one size. They were given us that we might play with them, and that men who could not handle a chisel might need out of them some expression of human thought. In the ancient architecture of the clay districts of Italy, Every possible adaptation of the material is found exemplified, from the coarsest and most brittle kinds used in the mass of the structure, to bricks for arches and plinths, cast in the most perfect curves, and of almost every size, strength, and hardness, and molded bricks, wrought into flower-work and tracery, as fine as raised patterns upon china. And just as many of the finest works of the Italian sculptors were executed in porcelain, Many of the best thoughts of their architects are expressed in brick, or in the softer material of terracotta. And if this were so in Italy, where there was not one city from whose towers we may not descry the blue outline of Alp or Apennine, everlasting quarries of granite or marble, how much more ought it to be so among the fields of England? I believe that the best academy for her architects for some half-century to come, would be the brick-field. For of this they may rest assured, that till they know how to use clay, they will never know how to use marble. And now observe, as we pass from figure 2 to figure 3, and from figure 5 to figure 6, in plate 17, a most interesting step of transition. As we saw above, the round arch yielding to the Gothic, by allowing a point to emerge at its summit, so here we have the Gothic conceding something to the form which had been assumed by the round, and itself slightly altering its outline so as to meet the condescension of the round arch halfway. At page 137 of the first volume I have drawn to scale one of these minute concessions of the pointed arch, granted at Verona out of pure courtesy to the Venetian forms by one of the purest gothic ornaments in the world and the small window here figure six is a similar example at venice itself from the campo santa maria mater domini where the reversed curve at the head of the pointed arch is just perceptible and no more the other examples figures three and seven the first from a small but very noble house in the merceria the second from an isolated palace at murano show more advanced conditions of the reversed curve, which, though still employing the broad decorated architrave of the earlier examples, are in all other respects prepared for the transition to the simple window of the fifth order. 
the next example the uppermost of the three lower series in plate seventeen shows this order in its early purity associated with intermediate decorations like those of the byzantines from a palace once belonging to the Arezzo family near the arsenal the ornaments appear to be actually of greek workmanship except perhaps the two birds over the central arch which are bolder and more free in treatment and built into the gothic fronts showing however the early date of the whole by the manner of their insertion corresponding exactly with that employed in the byzantine palaces and by the covering of the intermediate spaces with sheets of marble which however instead of being laid over the entire wall are now confined to the immediate spaces between and above the windows and are bounded by a dental moulding in the example below this the byzantine ornamentation has vanished and the fifth order window is seen in its generic form as commonly employed throughout the early gothic period such arcades are of perpetual occurrence the one in the plate was taken from a small palace on the grand canal nearly opposite the casa foscari one point in it deserves a special notice the increased size of the lateral window is compared with the rest a circumstance which occurs in a great number of the groups of windows belonging to this period and for which i have never been able to account both these figures have been most carefully engraved and the uppermost will give the reader a perfectly faithful idea of the general effect of the byzantine sculptures and of the varied alabaster among which they are inlaid as well as of the manner in which these pieces are set together every joint having been drawn on the spot and the transition from the embroidered and silvery richness of this architecture in which the byzantine ornamentation was associated with the gothic form of arch to the simplicity of the pure gothic arcade as seen in the lower figure is one of the most remarkable phenomena in the history of venetian art if it had occurred suddenly and at an earlier period it might have been traced partly to the hatred of the greeks consequent upon the treachery of manuel comnensis and the fatal war to which it led but the change takes place gradually and not till a much later period i hope to have been able to make some careful inquiries into the habits of domestic life of the venetians before and after the dissolution of their friendly relations with constantinople but the labor necessary for the execution of my more immediate task has entirely prevented this and i must be content to lay the succession of the architectural styles plainly before the reader and leave the collateral questions to the investigation of others merely noting this one assured fact that the root of all that is greatest in christian art is struck in the thirteenth century that the temper of that century is the life-blood of all manly work thenceforward in europe and i suppose that one of its peculiar characteristics was elsewhere as assuredly in florence a singular simplicity in domestic life i saw belincion berte walk abroad in leathern girdle and a clasp of bone and with no artful colouring on her cheeks his lady leave the glass the sons i saw of verle and vecchio well content with unrobed jerkin and their good dames handling the spindle and the flax one waked to tend the cradle hushing it with sounds that lulled the parents infancy another with her maidens drawing off the tresses from the distaff lectured them old tales of troy 
and Pesole in Rome. End of chapter 7, part 2. Recording by Pamela Krantz.